rock of our salvation, praise the rock of our salvation, praise the mighty God above. Come before his sacred presence with a grateful song of love. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he is God and he alone. Wake the song of adoration, come with joy before his throne. On this last Sunday of 2019, I pray that we have come ready to hear a word from the Lord. And our text this morning is Psalms 95, verses 1 through 3, and today's message is entitled, Come, Let Us Adore Him. Come, Let Us Adore Him. Now, this is going to be one of those messages that I'm actually going to probably take breaks for there to be praise. So some of you might have been afraid that you got cut off. You're going to have many opportunities to speak as the Spirit leads you because I believe it's one of those messages that as God's children hear the voice of God, they can at least say amen, they can at least say hallelujah, they can at least say praise the Lord, they can at least say bless his holy name. Now if I make it all the way through this message and you don't get any praises out, I'm not going to think it was a message, but I'm going to think it be the ones who have received the message. Someone said things children say many times amuse us, many times leave us amazed. A little boy after attending church one Sunday morning, a little boy knelt at his bedside that night and prayed. And he said, dear God, we had a good time at church today, but I wish you had been there. When I saw that one as I was preparing for today's message, I'm saying a little boy had enough in him to realize there was a lot of voices, a lot of noise, there might have been laughter, there might have been amen choruses. But for some reason, this little boy felt as though God was not there. And I began to wonder how many times we might have gathered in 2019 and we've sung songs, we preached sermons, we had exhortations, we've had this, we've had that, and God is saying, I was not present because they did not come to adore me. They came to adore themselves and the talents I have given them to praise me. A visiting minister was seated in the pulpit by the head usher. And after the associate minister made the announcement that the pastor of that particular church would not be preaching, some of the congregants began shifting in their seats and some in the back even stood up and left. The visiting minister stood and said loudly, all who have come here today to worship Pastor X may now leave the church. All who have come to worship God, please keep your seats and let's come and worship the one who is worthy of the praise. So when we come to church, we should never come to church for the instrument or the creation. We are always to come to church not to worship man, but to worship the one who is God over man. So if some of you were thinking about going out the back door, don't go. Because we're about to worship the one who is worthy of all the praise. This morning we're going to look at two points. Come and rejoice and come and adore his greatness. As the curtain rises on our text and we see our first point, come and rejoice, we find these words in verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Come. Come has this mindset that it is a command. Come is this mindset that the psalmist is not saying, come if you feel like it. He's not saying, come if you're in the mood. He's not saying, come if you don't have anything else to do. 
He's not saying come if the weather is not bad and don't come when the weather is too good because now you have something else to do. As a child of God, it's supposed to be part of our DNA that we look forward to the opportunity to come for corporate worship. Now, we're not talking today about what you do on your personal time because God is saying you're supposed to have personal devotion too. But he is commanding us that there's supposed to be corporate worship. And when we come for corporate worship, he tells us what to do. Mm. So having been delivered from bondage and brought into a land of plenty, Israel had reason to sing for joy and to shout for joy. This particular psalm is believed to have been sung by the Israelites as a song of corporate worship. So you remember when you look at the Psalms, we normally read the Psalms, but many of the Psalms were lyrics to a song. So now this Psalmist in 95 is saying, when we gather as children of God, when we gather as children of the almighty God, we are coming with a certain frame of mind because we know why we're coming. We're not coming to see what Sister X or Brother Y has on. Mm. Mm. This psalm likely sung during the Feast of Tabernacles, where the people constructed booths made of brush and dwelt in them to remember and celebrate the good hand of God as he had led them through the wilderness and supplied their needs. As this psalm was sung, it was literally a call to worship. Now, see, back in the old days when I was a little child and I wasn't even a believer and I would go to church because mom would bring me to church with her, I remember when the choir would come in and they all had robes on and they're singing a song. And I'm an unbeliever. I'm still in darkness. I'm still wanting to get home so I can see Walter Payton get a touchdown. So I am totally frustrated when I see these people come in robes and they take two steps and they take three bats. I said, this thing ain't gonna never start. But that was that concept of, we are now beginning to come for corporate worship. It should not be that the clock hit 10.30 and now that's our call to worship. We ought to be already in here singing praises, giving thanks to God. Not talking to our neighbor about something that got nothing to do with God. And then think when the clock at 1030, we're going to get spiritual. <laughs> this song served as a means of getting the people in tune with the Lord Almighty and their hearts prepared for worship. So that's letting us know that we can come to God's house and our hearts are not prepared for worship. So that's why you have many believers saying, I will be ready for worship once the song is sung. I will be ready for worship once the exhortation goes. But if that exhortation don't get me excited, this song brought inspiration to the people and encouraged heartfelt worship. When they began to sing the song, they knew what they were about to do. We're not now going to talk about politics. We're not now going to talk about sports. We're not going to now talk about what I got on or what I don't have on. Because my focus is not on what I have on. It's on the one who made it possible for me to wear what I got on. It has been said, the lack of worship in our day is due to a lack of recognition of God. There is no way that you can recognize who God is and not worship him. That's why I always say, worship on Sunday is not for unbelievers. People always look at me like, well, what did he just say? Oh, yeah, it is. No, no, it's not. Because worship is a gathering of the folks who are going to worship and adore God. If you are an unbeliever, there's no way you can adore God. We need to see our Heavenly Father in his glory and ourselves in our humanity. 
When I begin to think how awesome God is, when I begin to think how great he is, when I begin to think how glorious he is, there's no way for me to be puffed up about who I am. See, see, we, we, our custom and our history, we all dressed up for Sunday. We got our Sunday clothes and our other clothes, and Sunday was the day we're going to dress up. And do we not understand, if we are standing before the Almighty God, we're coming in his presence to worship him, do you not know anything that you have on is like filthy rags? So we worried about, does this match with this? And God said, I could care less if it matched. Did you come here to worship me? Mm. Then we'll start saying, well, I worship better when I look better. I'm like, what in the world is that? All that worldly nonsense coming into the church. This is a psalm of rejoicing. The people of God had every reason to rejoice Belonging to the Lord is reason enough. Yes. See, sometimes we'll, sometimes we'll foolish you and say, well, I ain't got nothing to be happy about. Well, well, well the first thing, I didn't ask you, was you happy? <laughs> I asked you, are you ready to rejoice? Because guess what? The rejoicing has nothing to do with you the rejoicing has everything to do with the one who is deserving of the rejoicing, who is reserved, deserving of the praise, who is deserving of the singing. That's the reason why I always have something to rejoice about. There may be times when we are called upon to worship the Lord while going through a valley in our lives, a storm in our lives, but even then, the people of God ought to have a song of rejoicing within their hearts. Sometimes we are hurting so bad of the things that have come into our lives, and we think the solution is to stay away from our brothers and sisters in Christ. So some of us may have been guilty, and, and I don't want to see hands because I don't want some to raise their hand out of pride and some to not raise their hand. Now you don't lie, so I don't want a lot of sin going on during this time. But if we look back in our lives, there were probably times when things were not going the way that we thought or believed they should go, so we did not come to corporate worship and we did not believe we had anything to rejoice about. But let me put this clear. Nothing, nada, I don't know any other languages, so that was the only two I know. I guess I could say nothing and take the G off. Nothing in life can bring or will ever change the fact that God has been good to you. So you can sit and tell me, well, you don't know what I've been through. I don't have to know what you've been through because nothing means nothing. There's nothing that you have gone through that God is saying, I am still not deserved to be receiving praise and rejoicing and singing and joyfully doing so. Because he has been too good to us in the past. But God is such a great God. He hasn't just been good to us. He's being good to us now. And then he tells us, I will be good to you for eternity. So I don't have to think way back to when God was good to me because he's been good to me already today and it ain't even new. And I'm foolish enough to believe the word that he tells me absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm foolish enough to believe that the Bible tells me when Jesus ascended up to the sky, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yeah. 
got a God as messed up as I am preparing a place for me to spend eternity. If our hearts are focused on being consumed with God, heartfelt worship will always lead to glorious rejoicing. Somebody said, did you have good service today? Did you have good worship today? That ain't got nothing to do with anybody but you. So if you didn't have good, rejoicing, worship-filled service today, that ain't got nothing to do with me. Look in the mirror. That has to do with you. It's not only a song of rejoicing, but it's also a song of redemption. He uses a phrase, rock of our salvation. Now, when he says this, the the people already began to have in their minds imagery of this concept or this phrase, rock of our salvation, and it begins to make them think of the concepts of redemption, but it also gives us the mindset of a sense of security, a sense of deliverance, a sense of strength. So how do I get all that? Because there were high cliffs and something called crags, C-R-A-G-S, abound in biblical lands. And the Israelites often found themselves hiding in caves and mountain crevices from the enemy. Rocky areas were also ideal location for strong, protective fortresses. Caves and rock crevices were often David's refuge when running from Saul, who wanted to kill him. So when he talks about rock of salvation, it doesn't bring fear to him. It brings a sense of peace to him. When he hears about the rock of salvation, he says, I know God is my redeemer. And when he thinks about the rock of our salvation, he says he knows that God is my deliverer. Because he can start thinking about all the time that Saul was on his feet ready to harm him. And God kept... God kept protecting him. God kept giving him a sense of security. When you look at your life, God has been your rock of salvation as well because he is your redeemer. He is your deliverer. He is your protector. He is your strength. He is your security if you will allow him to be so. I can feel safe because I know the rock. It's nice to have ADT, but ADT ain't my ultimate rock. God is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is the one I run to. It's amazing that God is saying, you can run to me when the enemies are after you. And I'll protect you. I'll hide you. He knows when we're afraid. He knows when we're scared. He knows when we allow fear to just take over our whole being. And God is just sitting there saying, come to me. He's saying, now you can sing that song because you remember all the times I've been there for you. Any of us sitting here, there's no way that we could not sing a song of the number of times God has delivered us. And if you don't have nothing to sing to him about being delivered, just think it might be around the corner. But you don't even have to wait till he comes around the corner. If you are a child of God, has he not already rescued you? Didn't he rescue you from darkness to his glorious, marvelous light? And he's saying, you can't sing (laughs) praises unto me for how I had to reach way down where you was at to bring you up. See, some of us don't think we were that far down. Let me let you know, you was way, 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 way down. Some of you thinking that wasn't too much darkness in me because I always grew up in the church. You was dark on your way to hell. And God reached down and delivered you. And now he's saying, you can't say thank you to me? 
We can walk around and say, well, he ain't been my deliverer for a long time. Really? Really? The psalmist knew where his strength came from. I like that what he says in Psalms 121, beginning at verse 1, he says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Mm. But he said, just in case some of you don't know where my help comes from, he says, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to say, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Mm. My strength is not the mountain. My strength is the one who made the mountain. We so often put the focus not on where it belongs. We are to be thankful that we got friends and family, but my praises don't go to them. It goes to the one who allowed me to have the friends and the family. The psalmist said in 62, 6 and 7, he only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. How many of us can read that verse and say, amen, it is written, and I am living it? How many Christians in 2019 have been shaken? I was going to use a word that's not even a word. They've been shaken so much that they can't look at Psalm 62 and say, I have not been shaken. Let something come in your life, and you are all shook up. Go to the doctor, doctor, give me a report. Double don't look too good. You've been eating too much. I ain't shaking. <laughs> Get some report. You ain't got the money to pay for something. Are you going to be shaking, losing sleep, running around? How's it going to be? Or are you going to say, my God is going to make a way? Some of us in 2019, we done lost some loved ones. Nobody said, how are you going to rejoice about losing a loved one? I rejoice not in their death. I rejoice in the life. I rejoice in the fact that God allowed me to be a part of their life and me to be a part of their life. Hmm. Verse 2 says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with songs. Worship includes, and one of the vital elements of worship is surrender. In Hebrew, the word worship is shakah, S-H-A-K-A-H. It means to fall down or bow down. Now, I know you guys are going to go home and read the rest of 95 because I only stopped at verse 3. But the psalmist in verse 6, he says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So the psalmist is already thinking about this shakah. He's saying, I cannot worship God and not surrender myself. I cannot worship God and bow down to God, to kneel down to God, to surrender to God, to understand I am not worthy of you, God. And many of our churches today, we have gotten to the point where there is no more bowing down. There is no more kneeling. It is all basically us standing up almost like the Pharisee and the legalistic person beating our chest and saying how great and awesome we are. And God is saying, do you know who you coming before? 
See, we'll, we'll hear people sometimes, and you, I know they might be saying it from good intentions and stuff, and they sit there and say, oh, I, I was in the presence of so-and-so. My knees were shaking. I, I couldn't even hardly speak. Let me let you know, I haven't run across anybody that my knees are shaking and I can't speak. Now I came across some people who are well-known people. They're just a person. How is it that when we come before God, we are the mindset, I can come before God any old kind of way? When was the last time when you came to corporate work? So I ain't, we ain't dealing with personal or your private one. But when was the last time you came to corporate worship? And you physically or literally bowed down to God. Because you knew you were in his presence. We done, we done got to the point where we did. It's Sunday. It's 1030. I come through the door and I come through the door and I just come and I'm not thinking I'm about to enter the presence of God. Corporately. And I began to look at my own life and say, how many times, Delbert, in 2019, did you just come? But there was no shakar. It was just me coming behind the pulpit, preaching a word, but no shakar. How many times have you ushered? How many times have you greeted? How many times have you sung? How many times have you done whatever you've done in corporate worship service and there was no shakar? It was just coming in, doing what I need to do, and going home. And God is saying, you haven't worshiped me. Don't think the loudness of the song or the speed of the song equates to worship. Because we foolishly got there 15, 20, 30 years ago. Well, we ain't going to sing hymns. We ain't going to sing nothing slow. We got to have something upbeat. It's got to have a beat. Where's the beat? Where's the beat? Where's the beat? And there's nothing wrong with there being a beat in a song. But I got to understand it's not about the beat or the tempo. It's about the one I am singing unto. Because when I come to sing a song in the church, I'm not singing it to the congregation. I am singing it to God. When I finally is allowed to be a part of unique praise, it won't be me doing the praise dance for you. It will be me doing the praise dance unto God. We still got churches that are fussing about what they got on and what they don't have on. And I'm sitting there saying, if the people that are doing the praise dance understand who they are doing it unto, it will take care of what they wear. If you're making it a rule or a regulation, it's got to be six feet from your toe. Come on, come on. Really? If you just teach them when you do it, you're doing it unto God. And they are a child of God. God's going to tell them what to wear and what not to wear. That's a, if you're in a unique praise, you just come in the church. Like I told you, we had the wiggler at the one church on the west side. The wiggler came late every Sunday. The wiggler came late every Sunday and walked right down the middle aisle to get a front seat. And she always had knit skirts, dresses on. And she come down the aisle. All the little man trying to get a peek without looking and everything. And some people say, why don't you go talk to that lady? Why don't the women of the church go talk to her? You can go talk to her and tell her to put it down longer. Is that really the, the solution to the problem? No. The problem is she still doesn't understand. As she walks down that aisle, she is walking down the aisle towards God. So you can come with all the rules and regulations you want. What we're supposed to be concerned about is not the rules and regulations, but this person's heart. 
When we worship, we give up ourselves and give our lives over to God. When I'm worshiping, it's not about what I want. We've had many churches that have divided and some even closed because of what translation of the Bible is used, what songs are being sung. I don't want to go to a song that's not contemporary. I don't want to go to a song that's him. I don't want to go here. Oh, they don't play my kind of music. It ain't supposed to be your kind of music when you come for corporate worship. Your kind of music is when you're driving in your car and you can play whatever kind of music you want to play. When we come to the body of Christ, it's not a me. It's a us. Our English word for worship literally means worth. Worth is anything or anyone in which we place a high standard on, attributing ultimate worth to something or someone. To worship God is to recognize his worth or worthiness in our lives. So if my praise and worship is low, it's a good indication of your value of God in your life. And we don't get no amens on that. So you can say, well, no, my praise and worship would be better if Pastor Denny would preach better. No, it would not. Your little or limited worship is an indication to God of how much you value him. That's why you have people that might not have finished fifth grade. Might not have couldn't even write their own name. But they knew the value and worth of God. Yes. Now some of us can write our own names. Got a few letters behind our names. And now we can't even worship God. Because the value and the worth of God is being bumped by how great you think you are. <laughs> You sitting up there thinking about how great and awesome you are. That don't leave room for you to be thinking about how great and awesome God is because you're spending most of your time thinking about how awesome you are. You don't met people when you meet them, they, they doctor this, they doctor that. I was like, man, this, this person ain't got a GED. I'm talking about, I'm calling you doctor. What's my name? Delbert. What position or title I have a church pastor? You call me Delbert, it ain't going to hurt me. Because Delbert is who I am. I have a position or a title that don't make me any better than anybody else. Because I know the one who is worthy of the praise is God. And see, some of us, once again, have that same mindset. I can do both. I can praise and give value to other people, but I'll always remember to give the ultimate praise to God. No, you won't. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because you'll start giving praise and value and everything else to these other people and don't give any to God. Just imagine this month alone, how much have you praised another person compared to how much you done praised God? You say, well, it's close. Well, if it's close, you done flunk. Because it ain't supposed to be nowhere close. But you know that's my baby. You know that's my little child. I gave birth to that child. <laughs> you know that's my husband, that's my wife. And you know they're, they're, they're the center of my life. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> Thanksgiving unto the Lord. God has reason to be thankful for all that he had done for them. He had met their needs in the past, and he continued to care for them and guide them in the presence. So they were constantly full of thanksgiving because they knew what God had done, what he was doing, and what he was going to do. Sadly, I'm picking up something more and more in myself and others 
that as children of God, we are becoming more and more ungrateful. Sadly, many of us have at times during our spiritual journey with the Lord have not only expected to receive the blessings of God, we have demanded the blessings of God. But how do I know that? When we don't get what we want from God, we let him know. Well, you say, Pastor, how, how, how do we let him know? Well, I'm going to give you some examples. One way that we let him know that we didn't get something that we thought we should have got from you is that we now don't joyfully worship. Mm. We now start finding other things to do when it's time for corporate worship. Some of us, not any of you, but some of us, when we don't get what we expected from God and we want to show him that we are somewhat upset with him, we will hold back our time, talent, and treasures. Well, you know, I, I done done what I was supposed to do. I'm a good Christian. I done dotted my I's and crossed my T's. He didn't give me everything I want. So you know what? I ain't going to go to church for a couple of weeks. I'll show him. When the offering plate comes, hey, I ain't going to be bending over backwards and not being able to make sure I can have myself protected. I'm going to have a little cushion. So when I used to put in $10, now I'm going to put in 8 And if I don't start getting what I want with the 8 the 8 will become 5 And if he still don't start giving me something, now I'll just let the plate go by. Because I'm going to show him. This one really got me. I like what one person said. What if today's blessings were dependent on yesterday's Thanksgiving? We be saying Thanksgiving all the time. And we would, sadly, we wouldn't be saying it for the right reason. We'd be saying it for the reason I don't want the blessings to stop. But it should make us think, why do I hold back giving thanks unto God? Most of us, when we are parents and we were blessed to have kids, we would always teach our children, when somebody gives you something, what do you say? Thank you. We would even hit the little kids sometimes if they didn't say thank you. Now when we get older and we are adults and God blesses us, we don't say thank you. So just like I said, when he woke you up today, most of us ain't said thank you. And especially if we young. If we old, we start opening our eyes slower and slower. <laughs> then we got to put our foot off the bed and touch the ground to see if I still got feeling in the leg. But when we younger, we just get up and jump up and we ain't thinking about nothing. And the one thing we haven't thought about was saying thank you, God, for allowing me to see another day. The psalmist put it that way we saw in Psalms 104, but also in Psalm 69.1. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. Psalms 50.14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the most high God. Then I'm going to cheat and move out of Psalm just for a second, but Paul put it this way in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice thanksgiving rejoicing singing praises unto God is always supposed to be the mindset of a child of God and as soon as it begins not to be a part of your mindset does not mean that you're not a, un, a, a believer but it does mean you are moving into becoming an ungrateful one all of us some of us were blessed again had kids and stuff they can be grateful, they can say thank you, but sometimes they don't say thank you. Sometimes they're ungrateful. But that, does that mean now they're not your child anymore? Now I just put the adjective on it. You guys are still loving. You still, you know, I put on there, you ungrateful child. But I still call them child. <laughs> but I'm putting the adjective that fits. And we need to do that because if we don't, we do the same thing with our Heavenly Father. The last point we got is coming to the door is greatness. 
For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Worship the sovereign one because he is a great God. When we look at the Psalms, when we look at other parts of the scriptures, it constantly keeps screaming out, God is preeminent. He's preeminent. He's preeminent. He's preeminent. He has to keep saying it because he knows how we have the tendency to make God just like us. To start thinking we are somewhat near his level. It is beyond the human tongue to express or the human mind to comprehend how great God is. He is a great God. It implies the greatness, the magnitude, the intensity, the importance of who he is. But our limited knowledge of language limits us. But sometimes all we can say is, God, you are great. And God, knowing our limitations, he receives us saying great because he knows that's the best we can do. But how many of us are actually living our lives as though God is great? We can say it. But is he truly preeminent in our lives? Or is it those other ones that we're giving praise to? He blessed us to have a family. He blessed us to have kids. He blessed us to have a nuclear family and all the other things. But they are not the great ones. The worthiness of the praise does not belong to them. It belongs to him. Amen. So even when I'm giving a praise to somebody who's horizontal and not vertical, I thank you, God, for providing me yes. with this family. Yes. But the praise is not to the family. It's to him. Yes. Amen. It says there are none whom he must consult to accomplish his will. That's when you know you're, you're dealing with somebody who's not like anybody else. That means that when he wants to do something, he doesn't have to call around and say, do I got your permission? He doesn't have to consult with us when he wants to do what he wants to do. So when he says, I want to remove you because this is your appointed time, he ain't calling me up to say, is that okay with me? And how dare we think he got to consult with us before he does what he want to do. Because once again, that's telling you, you out of your lane. He says in the song, who are you? Where were you when I did all these things? He's constantly telling us and we just constantly go right by it. The next issue that comes up in our life, we're going to be thinking we're going to have a conversation with God. And we're going to persuade him to do what we want him to do. And he foolishly listens to us. And we think if we keep saying it long enough, he's going to start believing it. So what did the psalmist say? I'm going to give you two more. I'm out the door. Psalms 152. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So there, they done moved from the great to excellent greatness. So he's saying if you got to think something about praising him, you don't have to look in your own life. Just look at him and he's worthy of the praise whether he's done something in your life or not. Have you ever been in a circle where you got believers? And we say, well, we're going to go around the circle and everybody's going to give praise. And then you're going to have more than one, sadly. If the circle's bigger than two people, you're going to have more than one. I ain't got nothing to give praise about. And I hear that and I'm saying, you really saying you ain't got nothing to give praise about? Hmm. So some churches, you know, New Year's Eve, they come to the church and everybody give praises and stuff. And that's nice. What's stopping you from giving them praise the last Sunday of 2019? What's magical about coming on the 31st? 
Because the world says they gather on the 31st. What's stopping you from in your house if you want to stay up? I ain't made 10 o'clock in months. So I'm going to sleep by 9 o'clock, 8.30 sometime. If you chose to make it to midnight, what's stopping you from praising him of his greatness in your house? Yes. Nothing's stopping you. But if I want to look for an excuse for not doing it, well, I would have done it, but you know, that old South Suburban, they ain't had it open on New Year's Eve. So I, what do I got to do with you giving him praise? Nothing. No. So you're just looking at it and saying, all you got to do, you remember almost all these scriptures we done came from are in the Psalms. Because what did he tell us in 95? He said, we're going to give him praise out of the Psalms. Here's one in 113.35. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Yeah. Break that down. <laughs> when the sun come up, I'm praising him. When the sun goes down, I'm praising him. Because he's the only one worthy to be praised. The psalmist is saying, I'm telling you how to do it. There is no set time on the clock when he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise at all times. You don't have to just be in the sick room to give him praise. You ain't just got to be in the courtroom to give him praise. Constantly, praises are coming out of our mouths. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heaven. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? No one but our God. Yes, there's politics in the world. That ain't got nothing to do with my praise. Because I know my God is provident. I know my God is sovereign. Nothing is happening that he didn't want to happen. Some of you say, I ain't got nothing to praise about. Because, you know, I go, they ain't going to make it November 2020. We make November 2020. Now I have something to praise about. Really? Really? You hear that nonsense and that stupidity? An elephant and a donkey ain't in charge of this world. My God is. Really? Tony Evans was talking about today, he, he was talking about God's providence. And he was talking about how the Jews and what they went through. And you look at the scriptures, and we were talking about in Sunday school class when Joseph was in prison and he hadn't done anything. But he still kept remembering and believing that God was in control. Potiphar can be Potiphar, but God is God. He will deliver his people when he wants to deliver them. So if you not deliver now, guess what? That's because God don't want you delivered now. Because the flip side would be God wants it to be for you to be delivered, but he can't deliver us. And you really think that's what God is. I ain't got that limited knowledge of who God is. My God is God. And if he wants something to be done, it's done. That's why he's worthy of the praise. Because we are connected to the one that is all-powerful, all-knowing. Mm. We are connected to the one who says when there is light and when there is not light. We are connected to the one that says the day is the day of your salvation. And the day is the day of your appointed time of death. We like it when it's the salvation. We don't like it when we say he's the one in charge of that. Because now we're going to start pushing back. But my God is God and he's sovereign of everything. Not some things, everything. And as long as I have breath in my body, I'm going to praise him. And whenever we come into his house, it should never be a house 
where his praises are not going forward. And if you go to a service and you didn't praise God, then you didn't worship. So you were just here for two hours, sitting, doing nothing. And just imagine you had two hours to be singing his praises. So let's sing his praises because he's worthy of the praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your marvelous word. We thank you, Lord, for how you use the psalmist to remind us of who you are and who we are. For there are those times in our lives that we need to be reminded of who we are. For those times in our lives where we begin to think too highly of ourselves, we begin to think um, too much of us being the reason why such and such is being done. You show us over and over and over. What you need from us is for us to surrender and be obedient to you. Then the praise does not come to us for being obedient, but it goes to you for choosing us to be used by you. Lord, all of us have had our ups and downs in 2019. We've all had things happen that some things caught us totally off guard. But one thing that should never catch us off guard is that you are bigger than anything we will ever face. You are bigger, better, and greater. And my faith in you helps me not to be shaken by the things of life. We thank you, Lord, for how good you've been to South Suburban throughout 2019. We truly believe you have even greater things in store for us in 2020. But the one thing that we do know is that you are going to be a faithful God. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we say all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.